From the Southeast Florida studios of the law firm Trip Scott in Fort Lauderdale, this is Politics and Sunshine, a continuing series of interviews with local and national subject matter experts tackling the issues that make you stand up. In this episode, Trip Scott CEO Ed Poswali previews the midterms with national pollster and political analyst Scott Rasmussen. Here's your host, Ed Poswali. Scott is the nation's top political analyst and one of the most trusted pollsters in the country. We're right around the corner from the 2022 midterms and all of us are laser focused on the balance of power in the nation's capital. But here in the Sunshine State, we're eager to keep Florida free and to do our part, Trip Scott and Scott Rasmussen are rolling out a new state marker, the Florida Freedom Index. The Florida Freedom Index will be a quarterly poll measuring how voters are feeling about key issues here in Florida compared to others around the country. And so with that, I introduce Scott Rasmussen. Welcome, Scott. It's great to be with you, Ed. And you know, one of the things that excites me about this Freedom Index is everybody loves freedom. It's part of our country's heritage. It's one of the founding ideals. But there's a real tension between freedom and social order and government control. And so we'll be measuring a lot of that tension. And it, it obviously became a big deal a couple of years ago during the pandemic. Yeah, and, and Florida definitely took a different direction than some other states, didn't they? Sure did. You know, one of the things people forget, how early these different views set in. You know, within a couple of months, Ron DeSantis and Florida were heading in one direction. Uh, Governors Cuomo and Newsom in New York and California were heading in the other. Both sides made their bets, and and they never wavered from their positions. And? And it worked out pretty well for Governor DeSantis. It worked out really well for Florida with people moving here. Uh, Florida is now one of the states where people think the balance is kind of right. Uh, If I look around most of the country, we see that... Uh, people, for example, say, well, parents don't have enough control, you know, over their children's education. But in Florida, well, about a third say they've got too much control, about a third say not enough, and a third say it's just right. So it's a perfect balance. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Right. Obviously, that's just one of the issues that you looked at. What are some of the other issues you looked at? Well, the in terms of the freedom aspects, we compared Florida, whether people in Florida thought they were... Uh, in a state that gave parents more control? And yes, not surprisingly, they do. More so here than in almost any other state that we've looked at. Uh, we also found about business regulations that people think, yeah, you know, maybe there's a little too much regulation, but we're still better than most other states. And fundamentally, when we asked about, you know, the decisions made during the pandemic, uh, Seven out of 10 say they approve the way Florida got schools opened early. They approve of the way businesses opened. So what are some of the initial findings? You talked through some of those freedom pieces. What does that mean in this coming election? Well, what it means in this coming election is that Ron DeSantis laid the groundwork in 2020 for what is the, I mean, he placed a big bet. Um, if the decisions hadn't worked out so well in terms of opening up, he would not have a chance. But now because of the support for opening things early, um, he's ahead by double digits in our polling. Uh, it's very hard to see any other outcome other than Governor DeSantis being reelected and probably by a big enough margin that it will further spur talks about what comes next. How does that help uh, Senator Rubio in his race against uh, Val Demings? Anything that helps the Republican Party helps a Republican incumbent senator. Uh, we're showing uh, Rubio up by five points, not quite as much, partly because uh, DeSantis is getting a little more support from 
Democrats and independents, partly because Val Demings is a very good candidate. I mean, she's running a great campaign, but she's now in a state that's leaning in the other direction. When you went out to the poll, state of Florida, uh, it was during the hurricane or at the time? Oh, after. After the yeah. hurricane. So how does that area in Lee and Collier County on the West Coast, those who were severely impacted by the hurricane, how does that impact the poll? First off, you can never get a perfect response in a hurricane area. I mean, I've, I've lived through hurricanes. I know the experience. I was in Hurricane Sandy. So to think that there's any sense of normalcy is, is ridiculous. We did make an effort to make sure we got enough respondents from those areas. Uh, we reached out to them on a, a little bit of an extended effort. And so we, we do have a good sample from those districts. Doesn't really affect the overall polling right now. And the fact Excuse me, I would say if it was a one-point race, I'd be, be a little more nervous about it. Yeah. But it's not. It's not a one-point. No, it's a 10-point race. No. So. And so that means that with a 10-point race, is that a reflection of the new Republicans coming into the state of Florida? Or is that a reflection of Governor DeSantis getting his fair share of independents and even some crossover Democrats? A little bit of both. Uh, the people that came to, you know, when, when New Yorkers started coming to Florida, there was a lot of talk of, Welcome, but don't bring your politics. Right. Uh, but the truth is, the people that left New York to come to Florida were coming here because it was the free state of Florida, because of the openness. So that has certainly added to the advantage. But also, it really solidified the Republican base, people who were already here, and then it won over a number of independents. And then the demographic shift that's occurred in the state of Florida for the last five or six years or so, maybe a little longer, has that impacted this at all? Is Florida the purple state it once was? No, Florida is not. It's not. It's not uh, red like Idaho or some some of those states in the mountain areas. But it's it's a definitely a Republican leaning state at this point in time. A Democrat can still win here. Um, and again, if if Ron DeSantis uh, in opening up, if if Florida ended up having horrible results from that, a Democrat would have a chance to win this year. Do you still see in, inside the polling that you've taken? education and, say, parents, you know, single moms and PTA moms siding with educational choice like they did in Virginia for Governor Yenkin? Got to keep a little perspective. Forty-eight percent of Floridians said the top issue this year was either inflation or some other economic right, issue. Right. Uh, and when I poll nationally, what we see is that the Republican prospects go up and down with gas prices. I mean, it's just, it's very clear connection. So people are voting on their wallets. Right. Having said that, the parental choice issues are pretty significant, and they represent a huge opening for the Republicans. Uh, we're now seeing in national polling that Democrats don't have an edge on the education issue. That was one of the things you would always say going in every year. Well, if they talk about education, Democrats do better. No longer the case. You think that's reflective in some of the crossover vote that we're yes, seeing? Yes, Absolutely. Everything about schools. I mean, if you if you think about should your children be in school just for the social skills and the learning, that's one part of it. But it's also what's being taught in schools. The pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes and raised a lot of questions. And it's important to recognize that it's not always the terms that we talk about politically. You know, one of the things, for example, that parents of immigrants believe is that the purpose of a school is to help their children assimilate into the mainstream of American society. And when they're thinking that's the purpose of a school and their children come home and say, Mommy, they told me America is a horrible place, that's going to upset somebody. That upsets people. So that's still an issue. Yes. While we have you here, I want to talk a little broader. Predictions on who controls the House after this election cycle. 
Well, the US un- unless there is, uh, you know, a, a major political earthquake that I can't even imagine, the Republicans will control the House. The only question is by how much. Some of the estimates say it could be in the single digits. It could be as high as 40. I think somewhere in the couple of dozen seats seems like a reasonable projection. However, in House races, a one or two point swing in turnout can be the Matters. difference between 10 seats or 30 seats. If the Republicans were to get 25-ish seats, they would have close to the largest number of seats in the House that they've had in over a century. So it's pretty rare territory. And more important, what about the U.S. Senate? I believe the Republicans win control of the Senate, but it's not a sure thing. The Democrats could pull it inside straight, possibly even pick up a seat if everything broke right. But the environment seems to be getting worse. The last inflation numbers were bad. The daily gas price reports are bad. So I would expect the Republicans will get at least 51 seats, You know, again, barring something really changing in the political dynamic. So some of the key, let's start with some of the Senate races that are outstanding. Uh, Wisconsin should remain Republican. Ron Johnson's very likely to be reelected. That state is Clearly a toss-up, but it's leaning in the Republican direction. And New Hampshire probably stays Democrat? New Hampshire stays Democrat. All right. And let's move over to some more of the contested races. What about Arizona and Kelly and Masters? Well, in the Senate race, Kelly is a slight favorite. It would, I would expect, if you were to ask me today who's going to win, I would expect he wins. He but I would so. not at all be surprised if there's an upset there. In New Hampshire, for example, I'd be really shocked to see a, an right. upset. Uh, the race is close enough. And what we see, when you look at Kelly's numbers and the polling averages, he's generally just below 50%. He's got a few-point lead. What people don't really look at is the undecided voters. And those undecided voters really dislike Joe Biden. So if they decide to come to the polls, they're not going to be voting for Kelly. Okay. And and before we leave Arizona, there's a governor's race as well. Yeah, That's Carrie, very interesting. Carrie Lake, I think, is going to win that. Really? And, really? She, and by the way, I, th- I do think she also may be a help for, for Masters. Let's go to Nevada. Yeah, Laxalt is uh, looking like he's going to win there. Again, not only because he's been slightly ahead in the polls. When you look at the incumbent's numbers, Senator Masto, her, she's at like 45% of the polling average. For an incumbent, that's horrible. So she's somewhere around 45%. Laxall's at 47%. And then you've got this undecided group who really dislike Biden. And again, the political environment seems to be shifting away from the Democrats. So that's a race that I would be surprised if the Republicans don't pick up. Okay. Let's get to the last two with the most controversial. (laughs) Pennsylvania with uh, Fetterman and Oz. Um, That's going to be a close race. Uh, If I had to pick, I would say that Oz does come back. Uh, early in the summer, they were laughing at Oz because he was behind by double digits. The reason he was behind by double digits is because he had a difficult primary. Right. So if you were voting for McCormick, you know, then a pollster says, are you gonna, who are you going to vote for? It was I'm the residual, right. Yeah. Um, and he was only getting 75% of the Republican vote. So I knew right away he'd get back up to the 90% range, make it a tight race. Fetterman's numbers have actually been slipping a little bit, but it's not really about Fetterman's health. Uh, his issue positions are out of sync with the voters of Pennsylvania, and Oz has been doing a pretty good job of getting that information out. So that it, it's not coming down to whether he can string a couple sentences together without making a mistake because of his physical issues. Right. But it's more about the issues. It is about the issues. All right. The last Senate race is the... Uh, the the Georgia race. The Georgia race. Now, this is one, you know, Herschel Walker is 
an amazing candidate and a whole range of reasons, uh, for a whole range of reasons. But um, I do think he probably wins the race if control of the Senate is at stake. And the reason I say that, um, in this political environment, in 2022, a Republican candidate should win Georgia handily, just like Governor Kemp is doing. Herschel Walker has put that to the test a little bit, uh, but we are in the phase now where it becomes a team sport. It's much more about do you want to help or hurt President Biden's agenda. Uh, if you're a voter and you don't want to support Biden and you're not sure about Walker, well, you can vote for third party, and all of a sudden you have a runoff. And if it goes to a runoff, and control of the Senate is at stake in this year's political environment, uh, Herschel Walker will win. The Republicans would get control. So let's be clear on this. You think on election night, we're liable not to have a winner? Correct. And so that would push a runoff to when? December? December 6th. Big difference because two years ago it was in January. Right. The chances are we may not have a winner in Georgia, so we may not know who controls the Senate at that point. If uh, the Republicans were to win Nevada and Oz were to lose in Pennsylvania. And everybody else holds serve. Everybody else holds serve. Then you come down to Georgia for who controls the Senate. And again, in that case, I would expect on December 6th, the Republicans would win control. But, and by the way, just to, to one other part of this, if the Republicans do a little better than I'm suggesting, and they have 51 seats going into the runoff, then Walker's chances aren't quite as good. Gotcha. So the, the imperative wouldn't be there. Right. Exactly. Okay. Any other surprises? You know, like I read uh, in Oregon, uh, Phil Knight, uh, the Nike founder, was putting his money behind the Republican candidate for governor in, in Oregon, of all places. And if you had asked me, what's one phrase you never expected to utter? It's that I would, in this campaign year, it would have been, Oregon might elect a Republican governor. Um, right now, the polls show it's a pretty good prospect. However, we know that when there's multi-candidate races, usually one of the candidates begin to drop off. And when that happens, their voters begin to peel off more and more and make a choice. I mean, let's be very clear. Most of the votes cast in Oregon this year will end up being for a Democratic option. Right. So it's a question of how split they're going to be. Uh, but look, Portland has had a horrible couple of years. There's a lot of unhappiness in the state, so it is possible. That would be a shock, though. And Phil Knight the coming out in favor of a Republican may give everybody permission to do so. Right, right. And and that's the thing. You know, these these races, remember Jesse Ventura. Yeah. Nobody thought he would win. But all of a sudden, something builds. And, and that's what people, you know, uh, when they talk about elections and polls, they miss the fact that it's a process. Campaigning is real. Campaigning and connecting with voters and the way you respond to issues that come up um, and... In tight races, things usually break one direction or the other down the stretch. And again, we have some things we know. I would expect that gas prices keep going up in the next few weeks. That just increases the number of Republican seats in the House, increases the possibility of a Republican Senate or a Republican governor in Oregon, and maybe even some upsets. But there's a lot of things we don't know. Right. Uh, so that's, that's where the, the, these final races will be decided. So let's pull away from the midterms for a second and talk to, uh, a little bit about what we think the process will be for the Freedom Index, as an example, going into next year in comparing, say, Florida uh, with other states like, you know, New York or Illinois, New Jersey or California even, uh, given the fact that, you know, as an example, Governor Newsom has <laughs> made it his cause celeb to pick on Ron DeSantis. I say pick on in a pejorative way. But. Of, of course. You know, I, 
I got to tell you, I mean, I understand why Governor Newsom is doing that. It plays well in California. Um, but some of the things he's talking about just are amazing. Uh, and I'll just, then before I get into the Freedom Index, you know, the this idea that shipping some migrants to Martha's Vineyard was a mistake. I mean, our poll shows, first off, a majority of Floridians think it's a good thing to do. Okay. But nationally, there should be no issue that Democrats should want to run further away from than immigration. Because what DeSantis has done here is highlight the fact that the Biden administration has not secured the border. Um, when you talk about the Freedom Index... Let me, let me oh, stop sure. for a second, just an observation on the Martha's Vineyard thing. It, it amazed me the one thing that occurred because of that is that Ron DeSantis, as governor of Florida, by that action, changed the debate to an yes. issue that is more fertile ground for Republicans and Democrats. That's right. And, by the way, changed Biden administration policy. Yes, he did. Um, so all of a sudden, they're taking a tougher stand. Um, so, yes, I think that was a very significant action. And, by the way, even people who can't stand Ron DeSantis and who can't stand the Republican position on immigration— they do believe the response of Democratic cities was hypocritical. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure, we're open, but not here, right? That's, That's right. right. That's right. We're open to ship you somewhere else. Right, I mean, exactly. So, so that was good. Um, in terms of this freedom index, you know, anytime you develop a new index, um, it's a little bit of an ongoing process. You start with some questions that you think are going to give you a revealing look. Right. You track them. We're going to do it again in November after the election to look for some differences. You begin to create a calculation that that you think reflects things. And then you go out in the field and you test it for about a year. We'll be doing those quarterly surveys as yeah. we do that. Uh, at some point, we're going to look back and say, you know, this indicator didn't really do much for us. It didn't, it never moved or it, it didn't reflect uh, the reality around us. And so we will be tweaking it. But the idea will be to get a sense of where Florida sits both in, in relation to uh, other states and the nation at large, and where it sits in terms of where voters think um, the, the state's policy should be. Perception is reality. Perception is reality, absolutely. Right. So the issues, things like yeah, regulatory uh, atmosphere for business, right. environment for business, educational choice issues, those kinds those, of things, right. individual liberties, those kind of things. Absolutely. In fact, right now, 56% of Florida voters think the state's policies serve to attract uh, businesses from other states. Only 20% disagree. How does that compare to other states? Well, if you go to the blue states, it's the mirror image. 56% of blue states think their policies are pushing businesses away, and only 19% think they're attracting. Maybe because they are. It <laughs> could very well be. Uh, you know, and, and again, I think that's part of the value of this. If you live in New York, uh, your media world is defined by people who live in New York City. Uh, one of the biggest differences around the nation that we see in terms of political attitudes is the population density of where you live. Right. If you live in a heavy, heavily populated urban zip code, um, you see the world much differently than 92% of America that doesn't live in those zip codes. And that gives them a distorted view of the world. So this index is a way to highlight a little bit of what everybody else is seeing. Right. Well, Scott, I look forward to working with you on that trip, Scott, uh, Freedom Index. And we, we thank you for your good work, and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens in the midterms. Well, the midterms will come a lot sooner, but I'm really excited about the Freedom Index. Well, so am I, and so we appreciate your work. Thank you again. Politics and Sunshine is a production of the Fort Lauderdale law firm Trip Scott, serving Florida and beyond for over 50 years. Please be sure to like and share this podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time 
for another fresh edition of Trip Scott's Politics and Sunshine.